0: We're going to talk about a a kind of an unpopular subject today, and that is the fear of dying. The fear of dying, fear of death. Are you afraid to die? Well, I think we're all afraid to die to some degree or on some level. Uh, When we're young, some of you still are. Not all. When we're young, we uh, think we're going to, we act like we're going to live forever. We take chances. We do foolish things. We rarely give thought to facing eternity. As we age, the inevitability that soon we must face death becomes more and more real to us. I have a good friend He was young, in his 30s. I taught him Bible classes. I saw him trust Christ. He went to the doctor for a checkup. They discovered he had a fast growing tumor. And in two weeks, he was dead. Thankfully, my friend knew the Lord, and he is with Jesus right now. Another good friend of mine was taken by cancer a few years ago, he was younger than me, Glenda's youngest grandson, and I don't know if her youngest, but her young grandson, he was also saved in Bible classes here at Lighthouse, was killed on the side of the road while operating his tow truck. Often when believers pass on, I preach from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to read that text to you this morning. Verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, or body, do groan being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that immortality mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Believers don't pass away like sometimes is said. Believers pass on. They don't go away. They graduate to a new existence. Paul said he was confident, willing, and had rather be absent from his body and to be present With the Lord. Paul expressed this again in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 23 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Was this old apostle really unafraid to die? Did he really mean that given a choice, he would rather go on to be with the Lord? I know that we all, to some degree, fear death. If nothing else that it just hoping it doesn't hurt. If you continue reading this passage, you might find in verse 10 at least one of the reasons why some of us fear death. He goes on to say, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord, for we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. It is commonly preached and taught, That when we stand before the Lord in judgment, and that we all will surely do, you're going to stand before the Lord in judgment. Either as a believer or as an unbeliever. Two different judgments. One for the believer, one for the unbeliever. It's commonly taught that all our sins and failures and our secrets are going to be put on display for everyone to see. Many scriptures are used to teach that all your sins are going to be exposed. Old Testament scriptures, I'll read you a few of them. Numbers thirty-two twenty-three says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Ecclesiastes 12 and 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In Psalm 44, verse 20 says, For if we have forgotten the name of God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Many New Testament scriptures are used to present this idea. Mark 4.22 says, There is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. Luke 8:17 says, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Luke 12, verse 2 says, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that it shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. This idea has been presented in many different ways. I've heard and read it described as a movie of everything bad you've ever done playing on a giant screen in the background as you stand to face the Lord. Others imagine a giant list of sins continually scrolling on a big screen, or even the Lord simply pointing out all those occasions and instances of sin and failure. Let me ask you this question. Who could possibly want to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord knowing that they had to face something like that? Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? It's no wonder that many believers are afraid to die. If that was going to happen, I think the sense is about knowing the terror of the Lord might become all too real to us. What about the unsaved? They have every reason to be afraid to die. If you're here and you're not saved or you don't know for sure that you're saved. By the way, if you don't know for sure that you are, I can tell you pretty assuredly you're not. Revelation 20 and verse 11 records the judgment of the unsaved, those who are dead in trespasses and sins. John writes it this way. that he's talking about there, contain a list of all their sins. If you've never trusted Jesus to save you, well, you surely ought to be afraid to die. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's definitely not safe to die. Is this idea true that all of your sins are going to be exposed? What does the Bible really say? What do the Scriptures say? It says that every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But one might wonder, how could heaven be heaven if the first big piece of eternity is taken up with a giant screen playing all the sins that you've ever committed? I have a hard time believing that we're going to heaven to watch turn biggest and worst horrible movie about us that you're going to be the star of. I have some really good news for you. I do. The word gospel means good news, but it's not the only good news. With Jesus as our high priest, we really don't have to worry about a big, dirty movie being played about us as we stand before Jesus. Let me read it to you in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, who are we talking about? You're right, Jesus. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he said before this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days saith the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more Amen, Amen. That's a promise that ought to allow some of you to relax a little bit more. (laughs) What about all those other scriptures, the ones that we read that talked about all these things being exposed and known? Well, let me remind you, when you're reading your Bible, you ought to read more than just individual verses standing by themselves. For example, Luke 8 and 17, I read it. This verse is part of the interpretation of the parable of the sower. Let me read it to you. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Verse 16 says, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but sets it on his candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. Neither is anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. This is not talking about your sins. What's it talking about? Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath to, to him shall be given... And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. This scripture is talking about the word of God being sent forth into the world so that all truth is going to be made manifest and nothing shall remain hidden. It's not talking about your sins. It's talking about the word of God going forth. Big difference. Has nothing to do with publicly displaying your sins or your secrets. Another example is the one we read in Numbers thirty-two twenty-three. It says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. This scripture refers to the tribe of Reuben, who stayed on the near side of Jordan when they came out of the promised land. But they promised to cross over and fight to help the other 11 tribes secure their promised land right And if they didn't keep their word and go fight like they said they would, everyone was going to know that they did not keep their word. It's not talking about your sins. It's talking about the tribe of Reuben, whether they would or would not do what they said they would do. Certainly all sin has consequences and misdeeds. They seem to have a certain way of coming back around and biting us, but that is not what these scriptures are teaching. The law of reaping and sowing teaches you this in this particular principle. Believer, you need to understand something. God is going to judge your works, not your sins. And there's a difference. This is what the scriptures state in every case. Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. For God shall bring every what? Every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. At the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3:13 through 15 teaches us, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's what? Work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, he hath built thereon. He shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, so as yet by fire. Why will God judge our works and not our sins? It's what the Bible says. And I'm delighted to know it. It's exactly what the Bible says. But why? You ever thought about it? It's actually very simple. The reason your works will be judged and not your sins is because your sins have already been judged. They were judged in Christ on the cross. Second Corinthians chapter five verse 21 tells us clearly how this works. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made The righteousness of God in him. I certainly cannot say this on behalf of those who are lost. Those books that are going to be opened according to which the lost will be judged according to their works. It's not a list of sins. Those books are these 66 right here. The word of God. Jesus said, thy word is truth. And he said, we're going to be judged according to truth. The Bible doesn't tell us to what degree your sins will be exposed before you're cast into the lake of fire. But given where you're headed, I suppose it really doesn't matter much, does it? Why would Jesus really hide our sins? Is that what he's doing? I would definitely concur that some of you would think, isn't there some way I can hide my sins? How many of you would want your past sins to be displayed to everyone? Anybody that go along with that? Well, I'm not raising my hand either. There are actually two ways to hide your sins. and You're going to like this. You can let someone introduce you to Jesus. James 5.20 says this, Let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and what? Shall hide a multitude of sins. The second way is for believers to love each other like Jesus told us to. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer, and above all things, have fervent charity. What is charity? Love. It's love. Among yourselves, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Someone is surely going to ask, but Pastor, isn't that kind of giving us a license to sin? Well, I could see how you could look at it that way, or you could look at it the way God sees it. It'd be a lot wiser, I think, if you did that. If you go back again to our original text, you're going to find the answer to this paradox. It was in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 where it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ doesn't give us a license to sin. The love of Christ is what holds us back from our sin. God will not have you resisting sin or serving him. In anything that brings him glory because of fear god's not going to do that he's not interested in that only what is motivated out of love for him is of value to jesus what you do because you're afraid is worth nothing to the lord but what you do out of love for him i can't even name the price that that's worth Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, For I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love or charity or love, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, though I have the gift of prophecy. Did he? Of course he did. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Jesus has removed all the restrictions of judgment for sin, having taken all our punishment for us. You can't lose your salvation. That's taught to us in the Word of God over and over and over and over. It's called everlasting life. It's called eternal life. And the reason it's called that is because it lasts forever, not until you sin again. And also, you don't have some big exposure of your sin coming to fear from the Lord. The Lord's taken all those consequences out of your life. So if you're going to serve Him and you're going to love Him, you're going to have to love Him because of who He is and what He's done for you. First John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. When Lisa was editing this, she commented that that's on a coffee cup in the Christian bookstores all over the place. But most of the time says that we love him because he loved us. That's probably a new version. But we love him because... He first loved us. That kind of makes a difference, doesn't it? Now I know this still doesn't remove all fear of dying. However, there's still another factor that the Bible doesn't say much about. And that's something that is known by the name of dying grace. You ever heard about dying grace? You're not going to read a lot about it in the scriptures. There's not much there. But I know that my death, that I'm looking in the face as old as I am and decrepit as I'm becoming, I know that my death means something to Jesus. Here's what he said in Psalm 116 and verse 15. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I'm one of those. Amen. I've also been around long enough to have seen the death of a number of God's saints, real Christians, real ones. And I'm here to tell you that today that Christians, real ones, don't die like other people die. Dying grace is real. I've seen it in action many times. I don't read much about it in the scriptures. I've been through the Bible several times and I don't remember a verse that talks about dying grace. I've read about a lot of people who died in the Bible and those who knew the Lord died differently than those who didn't. And the people that I've known personally that I've watched pass on over to the other side, those that knew the Lord didn't go the same way that people without the Lord go I've seen it in action many times and I don't have a written promise in God's word but I surely believe that Jesus is going to do that for me I really do do you think you're special no I think Jesus is special and I know he loves me and I know he cares for me And I have a good idea that when I look death in the eye, which I've done before, but it's coming, I have a really good idea that he's going to be there handling that fear for me. How about you? Do you trust enough in the love of Christ to fearlessly face death? There are some things that a real Christian does need to fear. What is it that's going to be judged? Our works. Sins have already been taken care of. But our works are still up for inspection. Anybody here could raise your hand and say, I'm satisfied that I've served the Lord with all my heart, all my life, and I'm ready to face it. I know I've got some people I'm going to get to introduce to Jesus. I've already done that actually. And I know those are good works. And I've served him faithfully as your pastor. But I'm still a sinner. And there's two kinds of sin. One is the things you shouldn't do that you've done anyway. And the other is the things that you failed to do that you should have done. And I'm a little nervous about that category. I don't know how you feel about it. I preached this message today uh, with direction from the Lord. And the hope, I think, is that it will give you some comfort. And that you may should maybe could worry about things that matter and not worry about things that don't. And your sins are on the list of things that you don't have to worry about if you know that you know Jesus. But our works are another story. I know that some of you are beginning to serve the Lord and to produce some fruit with good works. And I am so delighted to see that. But I'm pretty sure I can guarantee that Jesus is more delighted about it than I am. But we still have a lot of work to do. I'm still here. And as long as I am, I intend fully to do the work. The kind that bears fruit. The kind that matters forever. There's one area, there's one area that it's a little more certain and a little more sure than other areas. Souls, one to Jesus, are not like other areas of fruit. I know we're to bear the fruits of the spirit. And I know that we do that. But those of you that I've introduced to Jesus and you have trusted him. your fruit. And that fruit is going to last forever. Amen. Can't be taken away. Can't be thrown along the wayside. Will never be wasted. 10,000 years from today. We may be having a conversation about what I preached today, how that death wasn't something to fear after all. Amen? Amen?